Today on the show, we are talking about educating youth on personal finance. Welcome to the Simple Money Solutions Podcast, where we focus on your money from a Canadian perspective. This podcast is produced weekly and released every Monday. Show notes for every episode can be found at livelifesimple.ca. Now let's get on with the show. Hey everyone, I'm your host Courtney, and joined with me today is my co-host Trevor. As mentioned in the introduction, today we are talking about the importance of educating youth on personal finance. So Trevor, today we're going to jump right into this episode by launching into one of the four articles we have selected today that really reinforce the idea of financial literacy among children. So this first quote comes from, Why Kids Should Be Taught Personal Finance in School and at Home from CBC News by Alexandria Sagan. And it really leads off our discussion today. And this first quote is, quote, Many youth are graduating unprepared for the financial realities of adulthood because they don't tend to learn financial savvy either at home or school, end quote. So Trevor, who should really take the main brunt of this responsibility? Yeah, hi, Courtney. Um, You know, personal finance, it's not math. It is a life skill. And this really belongs, the parents own this one. It really belongs with the parents, at least the foundation knowledge. And ultimately, if your child fails at personal finance, they're not going to go back on the school system. They're going to come to their parents for help. Very true. So continuing on that note, Another quote from the article right after is from Lori Campbell, the Credit Canada Debt Solutions CEO, who says that, quote, I believe we can realize and recognize parents haven't done a good job at teaching their children, end quote. How true is the statement? And do you believe it is overstating the problem or do you believe that a majority of children really aren't adequately taught? financial literacy from their parents? Well, in order to be a a good teacher, you need to have some uh, foundation knowledge yourself on personal finance and also wisdom. So the combination of those two things makes you a great teacher. And I think you don't necessarily have to be successful in personal finance. You just have to be aware of personal finance. So for instance, you, you may, you know, say to your kids, you know, don't buy a new car, you know, buy a used car. And it, it, that could be from two perspectives. One is I've always bought a used car and um, I've never been car poor. Or, you know, I've bought new cars for the last 10 years and I'm drowning in auto debt. Either way, you've gained some wisdom that you can pass on to your children, either through your positive experiences or negative experiences. But you, the teacher, have to recognize and acknowledge your, your successes and failures when you're becoming that teacher. Oh, definitely. Couldn't agree more. So continuing on, quote, Canadians don't understand the basics, end quote. And this is another really interesting statement. And the statement isn't actually referring to children. It's referring to Canadian adults in that they, quote, struggle with simple concepts like spending less than they earn, end quote. I have to say that this issue of parents not being equipped with the proper financial knowledge as an adult is not a new phenomenon at all. And the article continues on by saying, quote, with many adults failing to manage their money well, it's hardly surprising that kids crash and burn with the fundamentals of saving, spending, and sharing, end quote. And the financial literacy of one's, the one generation passes on to a next, this is just really a cyclical cycle. And what's going to break this, Trevor? The one generation passing on maybe not as much knowledge about finance that they should. 
Well, this isn't a new phenomena. Um, I refer to it as passing on a legacy to future generations. And this, hap- this has been happening for centuries, and we do it in all aspects of our lives. You know, I'll take it to the, the foundation of us Canadians or hockey fans. Uh, someone roots for the Toronto Maple Leafs, not because they're a good team, but because their parents did. They passed on that legacy. Another thing that you'll see in the, this passing of a legacy that's not financially related is it's not uncommon to see that overweight children have overweight parents. Because again, they've passed on, they're passing on a legacy of, of, of how, you know, their eating habits are. So th- this passing of a legacy is, if you think of it, it, it's health, hobbies, education is another one. So it's not crazy to think that personal finance legacies are passed on in terms of, you know, when I say education, how you earn your income and how you spend it. So it, it's, it can be a good thing and a bad thing. But the, if, if you have, if a, if a bad fam, family legacy has been created, somebody somewhere needs to break that legacy and start a new one. I love the analogy, Trevor, and that's a great example of how, again, with anything, you can make something better from learning from the past. So moving on, quote, kids want to learn the ins and outs of finances from their parents. Parents should take advantage of teachable moments that crop up in their own finances, end quote. So Trevor, is learning from parents the best way to learn, especially as we just discussed that some parents may not lead the best financial life themselves. Is is this really something that should be taught in the home environment or is start teaching financial literacy something that should start at school? Well, there's a big difference between teaching and telling. And I, I've witnessed a, a lot of a lot of parents uh, will will tell their children something. You know, you know, don't spend all your money. Don't do this. Don't don't uh, don't waste your money on on eating out. Don't don't buy waste your money on video games. That's telling. A teaching is can only be done when an opportunity presents itself. And these teaching moments in life generally happen at the most inconvenient times, the most in in the most inconvenient places. But when a teaching time presents itself, you as a parent, it is so important to, to teach in that moment because that teaching will resonate and mean something to the student. And the younger the child, the closer you have to be to that teaching moment. That you know, as time passes, it loses its impact. The best example, I'll say with a little a small child uh, who who has an allowance, you know, very uh, insignificant amount and you're in a department store and they want to buy something if they don't have enough money to buy it that is a teaching moment you have to you know just just to keep them quiet and get it for them you've lost the opportunity and when i'll say you have a teenager and they need gas for the car to go out with their friends and they don't have any money that represents a teaching moment so you can't pass up these opportunities because they're not always going to be there so even if you're saying that the parent maybe doesn't manage their money as well as they should, it doesn't mean that the parent can't teach fundamental basics to their child. Well, no, I, I think if they don't manage their own finances well, they're going to miss the teaching opportunity because that won't appear as a teaching opportunity to a parent who mismanages their own finances. So you do, you do, they definitely have to develop. I mean, you, you can't teach from, from a, a position of, of no knowledge or no experience. You as the, the parent slash teacher, you need, to, you need to have the financial savviness or, or self-discipline uh, yourself to teach it. That's, that's a great clarification. So Trevor, I find this next statement really intriguing. Well, you have to look at your everyday life and say, where can I teach my kids about what I'm going through? End quote. But at what point should you shelter your child from the financial hardships you may be experiencing as a parent in order to protect their youthfulness and their sense of innocence? And then at what point is it important for your children to see the tough and harsh realities of the other everyday world? So maybe age ranges or 
maybe the the significance of what's occurring in their life like where where do you draw the line between those two things well i don't think there's an age range i i think for me the the factors are i will expose a child to the harsh realities of of personal finance when their decisions have an impact their decisions and their actions both together not just one or the other but both have an impact on a financial situation like there's no sense saying to a a five-year-old that uh, groceries cost a lot of money you know and complaining about that and and telling them to eat less food that child has zero impact on decision and action on your grocery bill but if you have a teenager who's doing senseless driving in your car burning lots of you know a lot of gas and the price of gas is going up then you need to expose that that teenager to the harsh realities of you know as the price of gas goes up we have to drive our car less you know and that's just a reality you may want to go somewhere but you know we're gonna have to choose not to because the price of gas is just is, is gone gone up too much and this it's an, not a cost we can afford definitely and that's a good clarification between the two it's really about what is happening and not about um any any age age variables that come into play so i really it, like it, that it has to be the two the, i can't stress that enough the child's decision and their actions together have an impact on the financial situation. Just one is not enough. It has to be both to really be worth exposing that child to the harsh realities of life. For sure. And that's a great clarification. So moving on to the more academic side of things, there's a quote in this article that says, quote, students need personal finance classes to prevent them from spiraling into a life of debt and financial insecurity. So I find the word prevent is used very strongly. And my question for you, Trevor, is, is educating children really enough to change their behavior? And or and can you prevent someone from doing something just by educating? Because this kind of seems like a classic example of anything else that's taught in the academic environment. You can educate, but it doesn't mean that behavior will change. Well, to talk about personal finance from an academic standpoint, it's important to distinguish that, that personal finance is not math it is behavior so from an academic standpoint it can't be included in the math and sciences at your traditional education it, it has to be in the life skills section of, of school to that'll accomplish two things one is you're going to sell the the concepts in a different way through you know not doing you know math on a, on a chalkboard but talking about what motivates people and, and what what makes people do things they do the psychology of it and, and the other thing is it, it if if you sell personal finance in schools as math you may particularly if it's an optional course the kids who are not strong in math may shy away from it and you'll lose those ones whereas if you sell this as as a behavioral science then I think you you capture more students in it I mean some kids may look at it and say oh this is an easy one right it's not a math course and they may actually sign up for it I absolutely love that distinction you made between between focusing on the numbers I mean yes it's valuable to to say to a student this is what a budget is and then plug in numbers but I think it is so much more valuable like you like you pointed on to to emphasize the importance of the concept of saving and this like the psychological aspects of of being financially responsible I love that well I've said this many times before and I'm going to say it many times in the future on this podcast personal finance is at least 80% behavior 20% math or knowledge definitely and because it is so and that's why this is such an interesting topic for this episode because i mean it, it, like for the school system yeah it's it's good to the the heart like the, the hard skills of this is the budget this is how to invest this is what resp is those are all great but i think nowhere along the line do we stop and tell our kids 
these are the psychological behaviors you have to engage in to make good decisions financially. Well, you, know, you, you said a key word there, invest. You know, a lot of people on the surface think personal finance is about investing. And that is so far from the truth. You can't even begin to invest until you have accumulated the wealth to invest. Definitely. And I think back to the back to the root of that i feel like because children and youth and even teenagers may not be properly educated that they go into the into the business courses assuming that they'll be smarter about money but it doesn't even start there i mean i i started off my university degree in a commerce degree and let me tell you there is nothing in there about how to manage your personal finances you're, you learn your basic accounting in first year, but that that is nothing to do with the behavioral science behind how you spend, how you save, and everything that else comes along with personal finance. Well, you know, we're guilty of this in our society on so many levels. Uh, health is, healthy lifestyles are not taught. You know, a healthy diet really isn't taught in our school system. Somehow our society thinks you're just going to gain these skills magically. And if you're relying on family legacies to develop these, you, you may just be promoting more be bad behavior in all aspects of life. And that's really, to your point, Trevor, that's really putting, I mean, health and and financial stability, those are two really big aspects of an individual's life. So you're really putting them up to chance to succeed. Like if 50-50%, if you're, if you're a parent who has a good health standards and a parent who's very financially comfortable and financially literate, that's good. But there's a 50% chance that your parents aren't that way. So it's really putting your kids up for up to chance to succeed you know if in fact you're not the most successful person from a personal finance standpoint you know you you as a parent could always look to some other person in your family to share their successes with your children that's not a horrible strategy and it, it doesn't mean you're failing as a parent it means you're, you're just finding another way to prepare your child and I definitely to that point think that there is value in implementing financial literacy courses within the academic system to rely on other professionals to to really teach these children these skills because it is important and i'm going to follow up that by um, actually introducing my next question to you because it really does relate to what we just touched on um the article says that quote schools ought to pick up the slack it should be a priority end quote and then another quote later in the article says quote let's face it kids are not necessarily going to use calculus when they come out of school i'm not sure why we're not doing more in the area of money management end quote so I'm this quote it wasn't not put into this podcast to say that calculus is not important because it is if you are pursuing an avenue that needs calculus in your post-secondary education. But Trevor, in your mind, is financial literacy relative to all the other subjects that are taught in both the elementary, middle school and high school settings as important or should be as focused on as the all the other subjects? Where does financial literacy courses fall in the realm of the other subjects? Well, if you're if you're pursuing education, post-secondary education, ultimately to get a, a good stream of income, but you never acquire any personal finance skills, are you going to be any better off than the, the person who, who did not pursue post-secondary education, earned a lower income, but was very financial savvy? Will you be any further ahead? If you're going to school to ultimately earn more money and, and pursue a, a, a career that, that pays well, if you don't manage that money well, you, you've gained nothing. And you just touched on something that we have touched on in past podcasts, is that it's not about how much 
much money you make, but how you manage the money that you do make. To your point about the individual who goes to post-secondary versus the individual who doesn't. Trevor, there is this misconnotation. This occurs all the way from elementary to uh, university degrees about different subjects that are fluffier or maybe not as necessary to the function of society. So would you say that, not that we're going to get rid of physical education classes or art classes or music classes, but in comparison to maybe those fluffier fluffier subjects that are perceived as fluffier, how it, how important is financial literacy classes fit in, in and among those? More important, less important? Well, I, I think I don't want to downplay any of the arts programs. I think they're important, although I didn't take a lot of them myself. I think they mold and shape people more than we we think. And I, I think if they sold personal finance as a fluffy, artsy type of course, uh, it, students may be more accepting to it. It, it. You take the word finance out of it and, and call it something else. Call it probably life skills isn't a good one either, but call it something that's positive like uh, wealth building or money management money management you know put put more of a uh, a friendly spin on it I I think it would be more accepted definitely and to your point Trevor no way am I uh, putting down uh, the fine art courses because that I just stereotypically they're seen that way but I think again it's a very notable and great profession or, or to study or to go into as well Um, So moving on, we're actually going to jump to a brand new article. This is by Gary Marr. We focused on one of his articles in a previous episode as well. But this one is entitled, How Canadian Kids Are Taught Financial Literacy from Coast to Coast. This is from the Financial Post. The first quote I want to touch on is, quote, Education is a provincial jurisdiction, which means how and when personal finance is taught varies as you travel across the country, end quote. This article then goes on to list every province and territory and the provincial literacy taught and promoted within each, within each province. So Trevor, in your opinion, in the most perfect world, even though school curriculum does vary from province to province, should financial literacy in the school system be standardized across the country? Or do you believe that each province has its own financial nuances that should be focused on with a specialized financial literacy course developed by each province and territory? Well, one thing Canada is, it's a very large country with two oceans on either side, a lot of different natural resources. You've got fisheries on the East Coast. You've got logging on the West Coast. You've got the oil industry in Alberta. You've got the manufacturing sector in Ontario. I mean, that's pretty diverse. You're pretty hard-pressed to find a country as diverse as Canada. Then you've got climate issues. You've got the relatively warm temperatures of southern Ontario and the, I'll say, densely populated. And then you've got the, the prairies, which are relatively, you know, colder climate. Uh, things are greater distances apart. I think all of these things factor into our very diverse cultures. Although there needs to be some standardization because we all, in the end of the day, we all spend the same Canadian dollar we're all taxed federally the same way. And a lot of the, the, the tax laws are, are federal in terms of retirement savings and things like that. But there's provincial differences. I mean, there's some provinces that don't have sales tax. So in summary, we do need some standardization because, again, we are one single economy. But there is definitely regional issues to be considered that, that are unique to cultures and territories, provinces, cities. So uh, a little bit of both. It would be uh, my answer. I definitely agree with that that stance on that. So we're now going to speed into another article. This one is by Robert Luang. It is from the Financial Post, and it's called The Best Way to Teach Your Kids About Money. Give them some. So this first quote, it's, quote, The starting point for any group of individuals on the financial literacy front 
is so incredibly diverse. So Trevor, we're gonna use this quote to segment into, I think, a really important topic regarding this issue. How do you mesh individual parent parenting styles with an academic curriculum on the topic of financial literacy? Like, how do you take into account the very diverse views parents and care- caretakers hold on the topic of financial responsibility? You know, this this is a good a good point when it comes to personal finance because different cultures view responsibilities differently. So I'm going to say, as a parent in in our Canadian society, we prepare our kids socially, educationally, re- maybe for relationships, health. We prepare them to fit into our society, not some other society. You know, those are pretty universal and finance is right up there. So if you're going to prepare your children for all those other aspects of life, why wouldn't you prepare them financially to fit in that that, that same society? Why, Why would you treat that any different? But in the same respect, there is some cultures within our country that communities really represent an extended family. It's not them against the world financially because of these close knit communities that they do have a safety net or they don't have to face the harsh reality financially of the world uh, that other societies do. From the education system, they need to give a foundation, but at home, they can say, you know, okay, this is how, you know, an extended education, this is how it applies to our specific culture. So in summary of what you said, I just want to make sure that myself and our listeners are on board with you as well. In the education academic school system, financial literacy should be taught as religion is taught, and that even though you do not practice maybe what what they're teaching you can still have an appreciation for the style of literacy financial literacy or this or that religion that they are teaching that, that's another good view i never thought of that just to gain an appreciation for for a particular view but uh, you could even you know stop short of of you know giving a full-blown education but just a foundation it's mostly rooted in the little nuances that different parenting styles have because every parent will teach their children a different money management style or money responsibility style than the next parent so i'm just wondering how how the individual parenting styles mesh with a one overarching education on finance well so in canada we're a very socialist society meaning we have a lot of social programs we help the less fortunate compared to a very capitalist society like our southern neighbors united states where it's survival of the fittest i I think our socialist society caters to a middle ground and and i think that gives a good springboard to a further in-depth education at home definitely Definitely, I couldn't agree more. And th- this next quote really branches off from our last uh, last quote, and it is, quote, although starting the financial conversation at home is important, young people want the lessons to continue on to school, end quote. So we have touched on this, but what is the true importance of having the topic of financial literacy be present in both contexts, a school and at home? Well, I know with my kids when they were younger, I, I could tell them something, you know, a hundred times and they would say, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. But if one of their teachers at school said it, all of a sudden it, it had some legitimacy. It had it had some teeth. It meant something. You know, my teacher said, and I think just teaching it at school elevates it to a level of importance that maybe kids wouldn't get from their parents. Their parents maybe can't emphasize its importance enough, whereas if it's taught at school, it, it becomes a legitimate concern. Definitely, and it comes from the whole idea that we are more willing to listen to a person of authority that, that's a very good point. True, than yeah. Someone else. Not that a parent isn't a isn't a person of authority, but it's just a different type of authority. And maybe it's to, to your point. You you've heard it now from two people. You know, my parents and my teacher. So, so someone must be right. Yeah. How can they both be wrong? Um. So this next quote 
quote, financial skills need to be taught using practice and real life examples, end quote. So to what extent do you agree or disagree that real life examples are really the pivotal, important thing that really drives home points? Well, this goes back to my early comment of uh, telling versus teaching. And again, it's effort. It's it's never convenient. But as a parent, you got to find that teaching opportunity and utilize it when it presents itself. So Trevor, I'm not a parent, but how difficult is it to really slow yourself down and find the patience to teach these learning moments to your children as they appear? Sometimes it's, it's incredibly impossible and, and sometimes it just can't be done. But to let as little time as possible elapse between the teaching moment and the lesson. So if you can't do it then and there, and then and there might be standing at a cash register with a lineup of 25 people behind you on Black Friday, you know, that, that's probably not a teaching moment you're going to be able to take advantage of. But if you could minimize the time between that moment and when you actually teach the lesson, that limits its ineffectiveness. So this next quote, quote, the best way for parents to teach kids about money is to give them some, end quote. So Trevor, do you think this is true or is there any other way a parent or a caregiver could instill fiscal responsibility into their children? Absolutely. The, the best way to teach a child about money is to put it in their hands and let them experience the good, the bad, the evil, the ugly, everything associated with money that you need to have in your hands to learn. And you need to teach your, your child to be successful with money. You also need them to teach them to fail with money. And that sounds crazy, but they need to know what it feels like to fail with money. And they need to fail when the stakes are not high, when losing your house is not part of the equation. So you need to have you let your kids have some wins and some failures. I can't stress that enough. They need to lose up money when the stakes aren't high to know what it feels like. Your child should know what it feels like to be rich and know what it feels like to be broke. That actually touches on the very next thing I was going to ask, and I really like this next statement. It gives children the opportunity to try and fail now when the stakes are low because it's a far better option than bailing them out later when their experience experiences are equal very real consequences, like adding, ending up with a bad credit score, end quote, or even very worse things. Um, so first off, I like how the statement, I like the statement because it takes on the importance of helping your children out, along with them allowing them to make minor spending and saving errors at a young a very young age when maybe it's allowances that are their only source of financial income. So of course, with a low financial income, the mistakes are going to be less costly. But uh, do you think even if you try the very hardest as a parent to instill good financial behavior into your children at a young elementary school age, does that guarantee that their behavior will continue to flourish as they get older? Uh, definitely not because they they will evolve as their environment changes. A good example is when you send your child off to post-secondary university or college and they're living on their own uh, with a limited supply of money, but now they've been exposed to a whole different surrounding of, of maybe different temptations and different expenses that they didn't have before, but closer to the real world. So I, I think it, it's a foundation and it's a thought process, but as they get older, and their environment changes, they, they, the learning needs to continue. So just to sidetrack the conversation for a few minutes, based on what you just said, how does their spending decisions when they're out of the house really make you feel and reflect back on what you've taught them? And is it still possible to, to teach from afar as maybe they're away at post-secondary? Well, when they're away at post-secondary, the problem is, as a parent, you, you're not going to be present for the teaching moment. So you're really going to find out after the fact 
when a bad decision has been made. And as a result, all you have left is to teach them consequence of actions. So that's the only teaching moment you've got left at that point because your chances are you're reading a credit card statement or a a bank statement and you're seeing, you know, spending that's occurred that maybe, you know, wasn't the, the wisest decisions. And all you can do is, 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 is a teacher is let that, that child suffer some consequence of their actions. And definitely consequence is no better teacher than, than most. Well, sometimes consequence is not the best teacher in that it, uh, a product of consequence sometimes is resentment and it, that can be blinding. You know, a lot of times that can blind you from a learning opportunity and resentment can actually have the opposite effect. No, that's absolutely a great point, Trevor, that is. So earlier you did say that your stance on giving money to children to teach them about the value of money is definitely a positive thing to do. But what is your stance on this next statement, which is, quote, simple methods like chores and allowances go a long way in teaching your children about money, end quote. Do you believe the chore method is the best way to teach your kids about financial responsibility or is there another equally or maybe more valuable way well i'm not a huge fan of uh, chores for money i mean as a family you all live in a house you you should motivate your children to participate in chores because you want them to want to live in a clean in orderly environment, you don't want to get in a situation where they won't do anything until you flash money in front of them. Then what's going to motivate them to want to live in a clean and orderly house when they're on their own? Nobody's going to be waving money at them to clean their own house. So as a result, you'll you'll have taught them one less life lesson and, and robbed them of another. So I, I think a lot of parents use that as a lever to make them do chores. But I think you need to motivate them to do chores because it's the right thing to do because you don't want to get a situation where you can't get your child to do anything unless they're getting paid. Working for money is is a lesson to be learned, but I don't think it's one you learn at home. So next I want to delve into this concept because I think it's really important and something that isn't discussed enough. So Luang refers to this as, quote, normalized talking about money, end quote. So this whole idea of normalization about money, those two two concepts together how important is this normalization about money is really um is is developing a perspective and i think if if you're and i could be off tangent here but if a child goes from a house where the conversation is always about debt you know where how we're going to get out of this debt how we're going to pay off this debt uh another credit card bill came in that we can't afford or all this talk about debt 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 and it just becomes something the child becomes desensitized to versus another house where uh, they're getting investment statements in and uh, the markets are really doing well and our returns are you know better this year than they were last year and uh, where should we invest money maybe I come up with a new investment strategy or you get the idea the the normalization of the perspective of each of those child is vastly different you know one is very desensitized to debt and one is, you know, all they heard about was investing, investing, investing. So it really depends. It depends what and how money is being talked about because that becomes your new normal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I guess we could agree that talking about money in a more positive sense, not essentially that you're rich and money is flourishing, but talking money in a healthy, healthy manner and debt in a healthy manner is definitely more positive than really talking about money and in a more negative man- manner, even if it is debt. You need you need to make it. Uh, it can't be a taboo topic. It has to be something that that you talk about openly in your home. So, Trevor, we're now going to jump into our last article of discussion for this episode, and 
It is called Should Preschools Be Taught Personal Finance? It's from Forbes and it's by Ashley Elbling. And in her article, Elbling breaks down financial capability development of, of individuals into three stages preschoolers, preteens, and teenagers and up. In the preschooler stage, quote, the focus is on developing executive fun- function, which is a sense of control you draw on later in life to set goals, save for the future, and stick to a budget. And this is done through make-believe play, end quote. And the second stage is, pre- is preteens, where, quote, parents and caregivers help instill positive financial habits and forms in preteens, end quote. And the third and final stage is teenagers, and this is where the focus is on, quote, financial knowledge and decision-making, end quote. So first of all, do you think the teenager, teenager and up phase is too broad of a range? Do you think there should be a, another fourth stage of adulthood? Or are by the teenage years, are you, have you kind of developed all the root and fundamental thoughts and beliefs about money and money management that are probably maybe habitual or fully developed at that point? Well, I think there's a lot of studies out there that say that the teenage brain is not fully formed. And there's a lot of evidence to support that if anybody's had any teenagers. So I think that you you can't you can't teach the same thing to a teenager that you do a young adult because the young adult is going to be more accepting and make more use of of more complex concepts than a teenager. I think a teenager is is closer to a preteen in terms of what I'd be teaching a teenager is closer to what I'd be teaching a preteen. That is a, a line that could be clouded in terms of the knowledge depending on the child. The, I, I may teach more advanced to a preteen uh, in one scenario and, and then that same knowledge to a, an older teen who's less accepting. So I, I just think that the teenager and above is, a, is way too broad. Okay, yeah, definitely. So Trevor, from your personal experience, can you enlighten our listeners with any important moments in your own life or your life as a parent that are really pivotal to each financial capability developmental stage? Well, I think in this article, they talk about executive control. And just to define that for me is, is a, this is for the preschooler age, is the best example of that is, is, is telling a child that no, they can't have something when you're at a store. To me, that that is uh, a pivotal teaching moment is is knowing you can't have everything you want and the parent not giving into that. That to me was a very pivotal time in raising my children was, was to cross that line. Me and my wife had this thing when we were in a store and some kid would just go hysterical and you knew they were being denied something and the parent was finally putting their foot down saying you can't have it and they dragged the kid to the store screaming we would say there that's a sign of first time discipline meaning that's that's the first time that child had ever been told no and the parent followed through and to your point and, i and, and i just i just want to finish with that and you I, we were always shocked at the age of some of these kids these kids were 9, 10, 11 years old being dragged out of the store screaming hysterically. And I'm saying that was probably first-time discipline. Definitely. And again, to your point, I would say, too, that the, the, the preschooler developmental stage that executive function is so important because it does lay the deep fundamental roots of of beliefs about anything not even just money but so that's so important and like you said you've got that you've got that child who's a little bit too old to be throwing a tantrum about not getting something and i'm sure all of our listeners have at least witnessed that once and if if you haven't got that foundation then you can teach somebody all you want about money but if they still haven't grasped the concept that you can't have everything you want then the rest of it's just meaningless for sure. So skipping back up to reflect on uh, Sagan's article from earlier, I think the real question to ask is why has nothing been getting done in relation to implementing financial literacy courses when, within the act- academic stream? I mean, 
it, it's it's something so I think pivotal and important to early development. And it's it's 2016 right now, and I just find it I just find it crazy that it's not being discussed when it's so important to the success or failure of our society as a whole. Well, I, I, I think it again. This this is something our society is not focused on on self discipline at all. We're doing a great job at fundamental education. We're doing a great job at preparing kids for post-secondary education, but we're not doing a great job at preparing kids for life in general. Oh, for sure. And I mean, you see in high school, they, there is the implementation of, uh, of parenting courses and real-life applicable skills. But they're not, but, ma- they're not mandatory courses. No, and, and they're almost seen as um, laughable subjects. It's like, why would you take that when you can take biology or chemistry, more hard, hard skills? And these don't translate directly into money. And, and, exactly. and people, you know, they're, uh, most people's underlying reason for going to school is to get the education to get a higher paying job. So learning life skills at school, that, that isn't going to help me get accepted into the university of my choice. Definitely. Not. I think it's about time that the, the school system does does change a little bit and, and adapt to actual skills, life, life skills that need to be learned somewhere because... But, you know, maybe it starts with the university saying, you know, and I'm talk, talking about a, an elite university saying, you know, a requirement to get into our school is that you've taken a personal finance course. And at the bigger level, to your point, having that requirement means that you have an entire university who all have knowledge, some knowledge about personal finance, meaning that maybe they'll be a little bit more successful or even health. You, if you implement health courses as a prerequisite to get into a university or a college, you, you know that your students are going to be showing up healthier, more financially intact, and just maybe happier. And you may have a higher success rate. So, you know, maybe, so I, I said, you know, if you want it to happen in high schools, universities have to make it a requirement. Well, maybe you take it to the next level. Maybe as, a, as, an, as a, an organization, you don't want to, you want to employ people who are financial savvy. So maybe you're only going to hire or prefer to hire students from universities that have that requirement. So if you create the demand, you will create the resource. I, de- I definitely agree with you. The top-down approach is probably what's going to cause a change in in elementary schools, like that far down. Like if you think about it, if you had a, a company and everybody in your company was personal finance savvy, they may not be as demanding for wage increases because they were able to manage their finances. And to your point as well, the idea of being financially savvy and even even health, health savvy means that you have discipline. And discipline is so applicable to every area of life that is a great point yeah and that, that so you know i know a lot of companies they're quick to hire somebody out of the military for that very reason you know if they have if they have a military background they mean that company knows they have a lot of self-discipline so that that is a really good point um so trevor before we wrap up this episode can you provide our listeners with a simple money solution takeaway if you get an opportunity to be a teacher of personal finance be sure to give your student both a map and a compass The compass will provide them with a perspective so they won't fall victim to our consumption society and the map will provide them with both short-term and long-term goals and the self-discipline and determination to achieve them. Absolutely fantastic piece of advice, Trevor. Thank you. And that is it for this episode. Thanks for listening and please be sure to check out the show notes at livelifesimple.ca. Don't forget to give this show a rating on iTunes as it helps us get noticed by everyone and also make sure to check out our social media platform. And don't forget to leave a comment on our, about our show or shows that you'd like to see in the future on our website or on iTunes. Until next week, keep it simple.